Welcome to the Radio 191 FM podcast. It's history time. Come on, tell your friends. We'll visit New Zealand's ancient lands with Jamie the host and Dr. Valetta Gillibit the historian. Our fun will never end because it's history time. All right, it's history time again. Here we are once more with Dr. Valetta Gillibit. Fabulous to be here, Jamie. Oh, it's just so good to have you here. <laughs> Always a pleasure for the third time. Um, of course, we're going to finish off our look into the temperance movement in Aotearoa. Just a quick recap from last week's episode. Um, it was a social movement that began in the late 19th century uh, through to the early 20th century, although it continues to this day. You know, aimed to curb the consumption of alcohol, uh, led mostly by women, um, and you know, help to get universal suffrage in Aotearoa. Also, uh, we've got to remember the 1911 thing that was what we looked at last time was in 1911 the Liquor Amendment Act a poll on prohibition it needed 60% and they got 55.8 so close so very very close uh, and it gets closer mm-hmm. oh yes <laughs> it gets closer so I guess where we should start and I guess it's probably the most famous part of um, the prohibition movement uh, or the temperance movement in New Zealand is in 1917 the government decides to bring in mandatory early closing. Um, But we call it something else today, don't we? Well, yes, we think of it as six o'clock closing or the six o'clock swell. Yeah. Great Kiwi tradition, that one. It is. I think everybody still knows about it young and old, right? I mean, it's Mm. something that I heard about a lot when I was a kid. So it is quite a famous part of New Zealand's history. Yeah, rather. And I think um, a lot of pubs as well will feature um, old six o'clock closing ads and bits and pieces as kind of a historic um, thing as well. People are pretty familiar with it, I think. Mm. Well, you being a staff here at the university, (laughs) no doubt you go over to Eureka and you'll see all those pictures on the wall. (laughs) Absolutely. I've been gazing at them since my undergraduate days in 2011. That guy with the big ears. He's (laughs) great. Bless him. (laughs) Bless him. So that was the way things were for a while. Yes, so, uh, yes, in quite a while, actually. So 1917, that happens. And you would remember at the time we are at war, mm. you know. Certainly. And so, I mean, that had a lot to do with it, actually. Um, this whole idea of national efficiency was being bandied around, which was a peacetime idea as well, but became really prominent during the war. And um, the whole idea was we want a sober, productive home front who um, you know people who aren't building up their debts and getting sozzled we need everybody present and working and committed to the war effort so that was kind of the thinking behind it yeah because even if you're at home you're behind the troops right most certainly you're knitting socks writing letters raising money whatever it might be yeah making cheese Mm -hmm. you know lots of things yeah i don't think we we didn't have much of a munitions no, um, up, not in the First World War. Um, it was a lot A lot of the work on the home front um, was the kind of production not so strongly related to munitions. As far as I'm aware, at least, in the Second World War, um, the factories kicked up in the cities. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, in New Zealand it was more small-scale during the First, and so, yeah, people needed to have their, their heads screwed on. Yeah. yeah. Don't go to the pub. Mm. And if you do, be home by six. Absolutely. And uh, and I guess we'll, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the six o'clock swell, mm. um, but so that was nineteen seventeen. Then we had another poll, and these polls 
essentially happened almost every election time, didn't they? Yes, and it was a rather interesting um, parallel because the licensing di- districts that were established uh, for this kind of arrangement um, conformed to electoral districts. Yeah. And so wow. suddenly um, licensing became one of the major issues that every politician had to deal with ah. and every electorate had to think about when they voted. If their candidate is for temperance or for prohibition or if they're, um, you know, pro... Uh, looser controls. So, I mean, yeah. often temperance um, and prohibition were kind of equated with each other, but mm-hmm. some people were more moderate, and so people had to consider that when they were voting as well. Okay. Yeah. So, in, in 1919, there was another poll, um, and this one was after the war. Mm-hmm. Uh, the troops had started to return, yes. and had they not returned, New Zealand most likely would have been in full prohibition. There, it's rather likely that that was the case. Yeah, I mean, um, historians have kind of debated how decisive the return of those soldiers actually was, um, but no one has invalidated it completely. Yeah. Um, honestly, like the idea of forty thousand troops voting um, in this election, kind of returning to contribute their voices, um, does seem to have kind of influenced the result. Because mm, I think the prohibition lost by 1,632 votes mm-hmm. and there were 543,000 in all. So mm-hmm. that's really very tight. It is rather tight. Okay, so that didn't happen, but we've got places like the, many districts mm-hmm. that are dry. Yeah. Yeah, and many other districts where licensing is tight. So what does that lead to? <laughs> Well, uh, some rather interesting arrangements to kind of circumvent that. Yeah. Um, to enforce it, yes, uh, you know, police were out on the lookout for sly groggers and the like. But sly groggers. Oh, sly groggers are so sly. Um, but uh, essentially, there wasn't too much uh, opposition from the liquor lobbies against six o'clock closing because the sense is that they were relieved that national prohibition hadn't gone through. Yeah, so don't rock the boat. Yeah, and so, like, okay, accept this and keep trying uh, to kind of influence elections every year to extend our reach, but um, not making too much of a fuss. So um, liquor sellers and um, groggers were able to kind of get around the restrictions. Um, People were able to open um, kind of brewing, uh, illegal brewing setups. um, in sheds just on uh, the borders of uh, dry areas mm-hmm. or open pubs on the borders of a dry area so that um, folks living in those areas could purchase their alcohol and take it home to drink, Yeah, which was entirely legal. Yes, of course. It was just not allowed to be sold within their district. So yeah. there were ways around this. And um, I think in a wider sense, um, New Zealanders did kind of... Um, you know, there, there weren't enormous efforts to kind of circumvent the six o'clock closing. Not everybody was having a lock-in every night. Um, but there were a good deal of kind of um, mainstream working and middle-class men who um, were able to get around it and enjoy their pleasures. Now, if you had a company that was making flagons at the time, you would have started to make a lot of money. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, totally. Not getting no rigor. I want a full flagon, mm-hmm. thanks. Yeah, um, trolley. It's interesting. We look at, you know... There's a lot of talk of politics these days, and there always has been, like uh, for as long as I remember, about the tax take and job losses. And these, this was a formula that was used by those that were for pubs being open and mm-hmm. against prohibition. You know, as one of the great weapons yes. um, against the Tipper's movement, wasn't it? Absolutely, um, and it was such a kind of. Um, a difficult one to resolve because the temperance people would make the same arguments back to them and say, well, we can't have 
uh, drunk people losing their jobs and getting yeah. into debt and costing the economy money. So, I mean, you could uh, quote statistics in such distinct ways to <laughs> kind of support your cause. So it was often quite a bit of a tit-for-tat between prohibitionists and um, those who supported uh, the sale of liquor. And there was a rather interesting and quite lively political culture around this as well. Um a kind of lampooning cartoons and advertisements that would um, come out, especially around election time from each side of the debate, um, would be rather colourful, paint mm-hmm. really interesting pictures of um, who was considered to be a drunkard and why it was shameful or why it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, a, a lot of uh, tit-for-tat. Yeah. So in the 1920s, like, the temperance movement still had quite a bit of influence. Mm-hmm. But now we're getting into like the Great Depression. We're heading yeah. into the dark 30s. What's happening now? Well, people didn't lose faith in six o'clock closing. And uh, I don't think uh, wholesale lost faith in temperance either. But what people did uh, kind of, you know, uh, lose a bit of confidence in was the idea that prohibition, national prohibition, was going to make the country universally better and more prosperous. Yeah. And uh, prior to the 30s, the Prohibition movement had looked to the example of America mm-hmm. to come down nice and hard on, um, you know, liquor sale and just banned it outright. And uh, so in the 1930s, um, essentially America ditched Prohibition, um, the kind of uh, illegal liquor trade and um, its organised crime links had just yes. gotten completely out of control. It looked terrible, and so the Americans got rid of Prohibition. And this was a, a huge blow to Prohibition supporters in New Zealand. They were really hoping that um, New Zealand would get a shot at this too. Yeah. So they get rid of that. And I wonder what the American troops thought when they came in World War Two of our 6 o'clock swell. Yeah. Um, I think it was uh, one of the many unique and interesting things they noticed about yeah. New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, certainly. And, you know, of course, in the, in the Depression context as well... Um, the idea of kind of banning liquor took a, a backseat to, you know, families surviving, yeah. workers being supported and being employed and all of those issues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, I mean, mm. you'd probably try to do everything you could do to not lose the job. Yeah, for sure. And you're not really worried about, you know, the more general kind of uh, defending the working man's pleasure when your livelihood and your family's livelihood is at stake. So mm-hmm. a lot of momentum uh, kind of fell away from the prohibition movement during that time. But broad spectrum support for the control of liquor sale continued. Did the temperance movement around these times or any time have any other direction, any other cause they were fighting? Um, yeah, manifold. It just kind of, it depends on the area you're looking at. Like yeah. um, with the late 19th century temperance movement, um, they were uh, very much about, um, you know, women's rights and um, protecting women, children and families. Yeah. Um, if you move on into um, the early 20th century, it became, um, in my sense, uh, more kind of practical and abstract. Um, women were enfranchised. Um, there was a kind of perception that... Um, something had been achieved here and yeah. um, that there had been a measure of victory for the temperance cause and so um, things moved into sustaining it more yeah. than trying to kind of make any new changes and so keeping the pub- publicity up, keeping the messaging up mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and keeping it relevant as well so you know with six o'clock closing um, the whole notion was that families would be together for dinner. Yeah, yeah. And um, I don't think and especially in a post-war context you can't underestimate the power of that idea. But, I mean, were they worried a little bit about the crumbling of the family foundation, say, you know, when when there was a World War I and World mm. War II, you had a lot of women working? Yes, you did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
not so dramatic a change as there was during the Second World War yes. and after, but certainly that um, women not only worked but gained a greater degree of independence. Um, you also had men heading off overseas and getting up to goodness knows what. And um, you're not only talking about, you know, sexual misbehaviour, but just violence. Mm. Um, and especially in the context of this being the first global war we experienced in the 20th century, um, people would have been thinking very hard about how life was going to continue on and how um, normalcy was going to be resurrected and kind of maintained and how people were going to rebuild. So family was at the very heart of that. And prohibitionists understood that really well, or at least, you know, people in favour of temperance, because you see all of the six o'clock closing ads which support voting for the measure will show pictures of families having dinner together. Yeah. yeah. Will show fathers playing with their children. Drunk. And this whole... Yes! That's all. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, it was all nice, well, well and good, the idea of Dad coming home uh, for tea and yeah. talking to the kids and, you know... Um, Kissing mum on the cheek. He's just down ten pints in an hour. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, surely, I don't think every fellow who um, enjoyed a six o'clock closing tipple would be in that kind of state, but it really did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, I, I don't think that every man who made it home from six o'clock closing to his family would have been uh, in the best of shape. No, just no. Like, it's so diplomatic. Oof. Yeah. Just that so the best of shape. All right, um, let's get into um okay, so there was a referendum again on the closures of the nineteen forties. That failed. Uh, and then there's nineteen sixty seven, the referendum on the closing time, and this one succeeded. And no more six o'clock swim. No, no more. Um and I suppose we can kind of picture why if we think about the sixties. Yeah. What was going on during that time? Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, people will often, I think, um, overstate the idea of a sexual revolution or a social upheaval during the 60s. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, you know, people didn't go wild necessarily, but there were some very new um, and very progressive, or I suppose liberal ideas floating around about um, individual freedom, mm-hmm. people's, um, you know, like uh, people's ability to go out and enjoy themselves without judgment so long as they weren't harming anybody. Um, this kind of uh, countercultural logic that was attached to the nascent hippie movement, nascent civil rights movements, um, we're all kind of coming to the fore. And outside of that, we had commercial development in New Zealand. Yeah. We're kind of getting towards um, the 70s when like bars and restaurant culture was really mm-hmm. taking off. And when restaurants and bars became places uh, where you could take the kids and the wife and have a lovely... Cop and co. We're off to Cop and co. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, (laughs) establishments like that. Like, I used to work at the Carey's Bay Hotel and it used to be known as a fisherman's pub with kind of shoulder-height cloud of cigarette smoke and just, you know, rather dank place. And for anybody who's visited it recently, it's rather different to that. It's delicious. Yes. That's one of those. Delicious, beautiful ambience, family environment. You'd go there for your graduation dinner and you'd take your granny, you know, so yeah. that great culture. Great staff, yeah. too. I must add, great staff there. I know, right? Especially the kitchen stuff. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, God. Joe, you better give me three bucks for this ad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right, um, and then, okay, so this has happened, right? So we're yeah. out of that now. Yeah. New Zealand's becoming cosmopolitan. You know, we become international. The dollar floats. You yeah. Know, all these things happen. Uh, we're at the whim of the international markets. The same year that there's a crash, mm. uh, um, we end the triennial polls. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 
We do. And so kind of um, moving towards a more liberal approach to selling liquor. But even that, then we should keep in mind, uh, by like kind of the the 1980s, the mid-1980s, one in five voters were still in favour of prohibition. Yeah, there were still dry areas, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's still areas of the country where you cannot purchase alcohol within those areas. They're quite small, I guess, especially like because you're looking at places in Auckland. Yes. Wellington and more in the cities, the countries have, the country spaces have returned to the booze. Yes, yeah. more or less, unless you're in Vicargill, in which case you've still got conditions. You do, and, and West Auckland mm, as yes. well. Yes, um, but there was areas that were still dry, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting in itself. That it was up until well, I think four areas remained dry in '96. That's when Greyland decided yeah. to. Um, Go wheat. Isn't that astonishing? It's amazing. So then there's still three. In 1999, the last three areas of Aotearoa went wet. Eden and Roskill and Auckland and Tawa mm-hmm. and Wellington. That's a, it's crazy to me. Just a scratch before the new millennium. It's crazy. <laughs> You're talking about the Y2K bug, but you can't have a drink. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, wouldn't... Um, the the most nonsensical thing that I could think of and yeah, 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 <laughs> right. but um yeah d- definitely interesting to think about you know we think of six o'clock swirl ending in the sixties and all of these things um, licensing and control being very kind of historical but if you look a little closer yeah. you're rather present yeah there'll be some first years that had gap years that will be alive when the last uh huh <laughs> <laughs> when the last um, dry areas were. So what about the temperance movement today? It still exists, right? It does. It does. The Women's Christian Temperance Union have a website. Wow. Mm. I didn't look at that. Um, (laughs) Well, I mean, there's not too much to be gleaned historically, I suppose, Um, but they are still an active organisation. I don't think um, they're experiencing any rapid growth in membership anytime soon, but the cause is still um, in existence and people still support it. Oh, that's amazing. Mm. Well, good on them. I reckon, like, yeah. people should live however they want, I think. Exactly. All right. Well, that concludes our look at the temperance movement in Aotearoa. Thank you. Thank you, Jamie. Let's go to the pub. Yeah, let's go to the pub. Let's go to the pub. It's a beautiful day. Yeah. It's a Friday. Let's go get some Miami wine calls or something. It's mm, great. Kia <laughs> This was a Radio 1 91 FM podcast. All of our content lives online at r1.co.nz.